0: I want to just toss out this little uh, warning. This is rated M for mature, uh, S for sanctified, and R for real. And so if you think somebody's in here who's too young or you think you might be offended, boogie now or forever hold your peace. But we're going to get into the Word. I'm just teaching the Bible, but you, you never know. So I want to be sure you understand that I'm going to get into the Word and we're going to deal tonight with uh, our sexuality. The Bible addresses the sexuality of people very clearly and very distinctly and very unapologetically, very openly. And the reason I'm teaching this, I tell you each time, is because our culture is attacking the church with propaganda about sex. And where our young people are being destroyed, I'm going to say that again, our young people are being taken in and destroyed, Uh, young, younger all the time. And we need to know what the Word of God says about these things. So we're going to open up tonight, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 to 8, some of the most powerful New Testament passages on this whole topic of sexuality, and I'm just going to go until time runs out. And it's going to be good. So let's read this together and uh, let's pray before we read. Father, we thank you that this topic is, uh, Lord, right where we live. It, is, it so matters to us. And we ask you, Lord, to open our understanding. And we want you to know, Lord, that we receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to literally save our soul. And we pray that you'll speak to us out of this word And the greatest teacher on the planet, the Holy Spirit, would be in this place opening our hearts and our understanding, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now let's read. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to what, everyone? So we're talking here about pleasing God in the way we walk, the way we live. Verse 2. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from, say it with me, sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. I want you to mark in your Bible those two words, know how. That's what I'm going to be dealing with tonight you would know how to possess your vessel in honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who what? Do not know God. So two kinds of people, those who do and those who do not know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the what? Avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects what we just read does not reject man, but is rejecting God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Father, bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him either oh me or amen. And let's get into the word tonight these are very, very powerful passages. I want you to notice that the Bible uh, makes a distinction between two kinds of people, those who know God and those who do not know God. And notice that those who know God have had their sexuality affected, influenced, changed. And those who do not know God do not have their sexuality under any kind of control. And so let's move on now the phrase we want to look at is know-how. You know, it's, it's one thing to tell people God wants you to give your sexuality to Him, but it's another thing to know-how. Amen? It's another thing to know-how. To possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. Now, what in the world does vessel mean? Vessel it comes from a word that simply means a container. And our vessel... Is our body. Our body contains something very valuable, the soul and the spirit. Now the soul, suke is the Greek word. Soul is comprised of your mind, your thought life, your will, and your emotions. That's the soul, the suke. Um, psychology comes from suke, logi, the logic or the study of the mind. But the Bible says that your soul is is your mind, your thoughts, your will, and your emotions. And your body contains that. It's the holder of that as well as your spirit. And your spirit is your life force. When somebody dies, their spirit immediately goes into the presence of the Lord. And they are no longer in that body. So as long as we're alive, our body is our container. And it contains... uh, the soul and the spirit. And that's very, very important. You are not a product of evolution. You are not uh, uh, something that just sort of happened over time and chance. You've been created by God with a soul, and he breathed into you the breath of life. Now, the Bible talks about several kinds of vessels, vessels of wrath. You've read that. What in the world is that? A vessel of wrath Uh, are such persons as are to receive the full effects of God's wrath and indignation as a punishment for their sins. It's a vessel of wrath. It doesn't mean that God ordained that they be a vessel of wrath, but when they die, that's what they are because they never came to Christ, never repented, never turned from their sins. So they're vessels of wrath. But then there's vessels of mercy, and I trust that that's everyone here. And uh, I hope everybody listening by radio Vessel of mercy is those people who are to receive the effects of God's mercy or future happiness and glory. You read about both of those in the Bible. And then there's the chosen vessels. Everybody say with me, I am chosen. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a called out people. So that's you, chosen. Now, chosen vessels are ministers of the gospel. Now, do you think that's just me? That's you. Turn to your neighbor and say, that be you. Because every one of you have been called to witness to what has happened to you in the person of Christ. All right? And you and I have been appointed to bear the glad news of salvation to others, called also earthen vessels on account of our weakness and our frailty. We are jars of clay, and within us is the precious Holy Spirit, We are uh, uh, containers of that spirit. Now, let me give you a quick illustration of this. When Kathy and I were raising our kids, we used to tell each other when one uh, one of us would take the kids off alone for some reason or another in the car, we used to say this to each other, drive carefully, you're carrying precious cargo, precious cargo. Of course, you're talking about the kids, not you. All right? Now, it's the same with life. We're to drive carefully with wisdom down the long and winding road of life. Guess what? Because you're carrying precious cargo. Your soul. Precious cargo. So this whole arena of our sexuality is part and parcel of the duty and the responsibility we have before God to walk wisely and godly in this world. So let me establish uh, establish once again... That our sexuality our morals and the way that we conduct ourselves in this area is very very important to god let me tell you something your walk with god and how you conduct your sexuality are directly inextricably linked and being important to him guess what this is probably not a revelation to you it is absolutely your sexuality is going to be a target of the devil Your sexuality has been targeted already. Probably this week your sexuality was targeted and attacked. I'm not talking about your sexual identification. I'm talking about temptation, wrong concepts, wrong beliefs, skewed understanding, uh, warped, uh, warped concepts of what sexuality is, how you're to live before God. Now, let me, first of all, just open up by telling you something that you and I have got to understand. Satan uses sexual desire. Now, let me tell you what I don't mean. I do not mean that Satan creates sexual desire because he didn't create it. God did, and when God created it, he said it is good. So, I'm not telling you that Satan created sexual desire, but here's what I am telling you. God created it, and it's not sinful or satanic to feel sexual desire, but Satan uses it, or more accurately, he abuses it. He abuses sexual desire. He knows if he can mess up your sexual life, he will ruin you. He knows if he can deceive you and lead you into false concepts of how you live out your sexual life, and, and, and move you into an arena of sin that he has destroyed your walk with God. He knows that. So it's targeted for abuse. Listen to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5. Very telling verse. We read it a couple of weeks ago. When Paul is talking to married people, listen to what he says, quote, "...do not refuse one another, except perhaps by agreement for a season, that you may devote yourselves to prayer." But then, come together again. Why? Lest Satan, who? Preach to me, church, who? Satan. Lest Satan tempt you through your lack of self-control. Now, that is so loaded with truth. Here's the principle. The Bible reveals that sexual desire in you and I and all people is recognized by and can be capitalized upon by Satan. Satan, it says right there in that verse, knows when sexual desire in your life rises. When you experience an increase in it or you're dealing with temptation, Satan knows it. That's what he just said. And that's where married people protect one another. When sexual desire rises, Satan shifts his missile carriers into high gear, I guarantee you. The rise of sexual desire does not mean victory for Satan, but it does mean vulnerability to Satan. Now, this is a very simple truth at work here. Let me just let me go into this with you. Mark it down. guarantee you, the more strongly you feel sexual desire, the more susceptible you are to being deceived that it is not wrong to satisfy that desire through fornication or adultery or any other sinful activity. The stronger you feel the desire, the more susceptible you are to deception. Satan knows this. The same truth holds true in all areas of our lives. You know, people that, that, that struggle with eating too much. Man, you feel that desire and here comes Satan God understands. People understand. Your parents were heavy, so you're heavy. Your granddaddy was heavy. Stay heavy. Big deal. Have just one bite and you know that you can't. You're going down that cafeteria line and you come to the end of the line where they have strategically placed those chocolate cream pies. And how many of you know you can hear God? And and when that desire arises, how many of you know that that you're more susceptible to deception. This is true of all areas of life. Um, So the more vulnerable we become when we are experiencing desire uh, to being deceived about what is right and wrong and the way that we try to satisfy that desire, that's when the battle comes in. The battle's not there when desire is at a low ebb. The battles come when desire is at a high ebb and the devil starts talking to your thought life and trying to convince you, as he did Eve, who looked at the tree and saw that it was good for what? Food. She was hungry. And he capitalized on the hunger. That is why, for example, if you and your date are fiancé. Now, I'm going to get real here tonight. And I guess I'm talking to singles for right now. And the rest of you, just get the CD and give it to somebody. They're going to need it. But if you and your date or your fiance wait until you are alone in a car to decide what's right and wrong about fornication, you're almost surely going to decide in favor of it. God understands. You're only human. Amen, Pastor Jeff. Hallelujah. We have to edit out all that clapping again this week. Satan takes the desire, listen, and uses its power to make his proposal seem plausible. That's what he does. Now listen carefully to me. Satan's efforts are always to destroy the pearl of sexual desire in your life. I'm going to say it again. Sexual desire comes from God. Now I'm not saying lust comes from God. But normal sexual desire comes from God. He made it. And so... The devil wants to take that pearl of sexual desire, that great gift, that incredible gift of your sexuality, and he wants to destroy it. It is targeted. Every human being on earth has been targeted by the devil to warp and and skew and pervert their sexuality. Satan does not create sexual desire. It's good, and he never produced anything good. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, James said, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of change. All right, his whole aim is to ruin to ruin what God created to be good. That's his aim. There are two ways you can ruin a pearl. You can cut it out of the oyster before it matures, or you can throw the oyster and the pearl together into the trash now here's the fact satan does his best to cut off sexual desire from the oyster of god's grace and truth he does his best to cut off the pearl of sexual desire from the oyster of god's grace and truth he does not want that sexuality in your life that sexual gift to glorify god he will do everything he can to stop it from glorifying god If he can get people to isolate sex from the reality of God, which is what pornography does, he has virtually destroyed its true meaning and its beauty. Let me tell you something. We're in a massive dumbing down in this culture right now. And here's the tragedy. We've got a whole generation of teenagers coming up uh, under us who have no concept at all of the beauty of God's gift of sexuality to them because of the flood of pornography through the Internet Their whole concept is uh, of something you, you use for base animal desire, not something you give glory to God for. He also does his best to take the pearl of sexual desire and instead of putting it in the pendant of marriage, throw it into the trash of fornication and adultery and pornography and incest and child abuse and homosexuality. We're in a serious battle, church. Are you aware of that? I hope you are. We're in a very serious battle. I told you last time that the Corinthian church uh, there in the city of Corinth, um, they sure understood sexual temptation. They had a, they had a, a, a temple there where there were a 1,000 prostitutes that uh, men went to as a religious exercise. They had it tough. But, but I'm going to say this. I think we may have it tougher in one way. We have the mass media. They did not. They were not flooded with endless pictures and images and thoughts and words about uh, sexuality. They were not inundated with it. You had to kind of know where to go to to experience the level of temptation. And even though the culture back then was depraved to a level, our culture is depraved on a level that I wonder if a culture ever has been because of mass media, because of the Internet, because of the flood of pornography and now you're going to have to fight it you're going to have to stand against it you're going to have to say not me you're going to have to protect it it's going to be a battle for every most most everyone in this room to walk with God and glorify God in this area. It's a battle. And we're all under attack. Now, for those who are called to go the way of celibacy, and many are, the pearl of sexual desire is meant to be a kind of atomic ball bearing in the wheels of human creativity. I want you to catch this, because I really believe this. Sexual desire brought under the lordship of Christ for a single person will result in creative output and achievement. That energy that God put there, if it does not have the right context of marriage and you give it to Jesus and you decide to walk in the holiness of God and honor God with it, it will will result in increased creativity and achievement in your life. Now here's an interesting fact. I dug this up and this really blessed me. First of all, because it's from a secular source. And every once in a while, they discover what the Bible said, you know, eons ago. Two professors of sociology at Harvard did a study in social history which concluded that, quote, the periods of a nation's sexual liberty were the poorest from a cultural point of view. Whereas those periods when morality and social convention imposed restrictions on sexual activity were the richest in creative output. Now let me just tell you what they were saying in non-scientific terms. They studied cultures that had given in to depravity and given into sexual immorality and thrown restraint to the wind and their creativity went kaput and their achievement went kaput. But those cultures that maintain sexual restraints and decency And a level of self-control had far greater achievement and creative output from a secular source. Christianity Today, but they were quoting these sociologists. It came from Christianity Today, 1984. Now this is why Satan will use anything he can to ruin this pearl of sexual desire by cutting it off from God's grace and truth or feeding it to the swine of adultery and pornography or keeping single people from putting its energy to use in a life of creative endeavor for the cause of Christ. Now let me be clear about something here. Satan has targeted the pearl of sexual desire in your life for deception and destruction. And I'm going to be a broken record there. He has targeted your sexuality for deception and destruction. And if you don't get into the Word of God, you're probably going to be deceived. We must remember that Satan is real and powerful. I'm not glorifying the devil, but can I tell you, he's playing hardball, and he's real, and he's powerful. Satan is not a pushover. He holds millions firmly in his bondage, and you know what he's doing? He's seeking more all the time, and one of his key tactics is sex. The first time Scripture introduces him to us in Genesis 3.1, God carefully points out his personality. first thing we learn about him is something about his personality. And his method of attack. What does the Bible say in Genesis 3, 1? Here we go. Now the serpent was more subtle and crafty than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. Now the Hebrew word translated into crafty is also translated into the words mischievous, cunning, treacherous, and subtle or sneaky. Sneaky. And Ephesians 6, New Testament, Paul just chimes in with the same concept. He says, we are at battle, you and me, everybody in this sanctuary and listening by radio, we're at battle with the wiles, the strategies, the schemings, and the stratagems of the devil. These descriptive words make something very, very clear. Catch this. Our enemy, Satan, the devil, split hoof. Plots and plans in a strategic way for our downfall. He is strategic in the same way a chess player thinks before he moves. He thinks ahead of time. The devil is a plotter, a planner. He thinks ahead of time. He knows you. He knows me. And he will put together his schemes and his plots custom designed for you. He's always on the lookout for cracks and crevices in our soul, always, that he might worm his way in and get an advantage over us. Satan will plan for 20 years to bring a good person down. I fully believe that. Believe it or not, the devil who leads you to be impatient is very patient. He plays dirty. If you don't know that's true, can I tell you? The devil knows no rules. He cares nothing for fairness. He has no heart, no compassion, no soul, no mercy whatsoever. When you're down, that's when he will strike you the hardest and the worst. He is a dirty devil. He is a he is a diabolical devil. He is a destructive devil. He is he wants not just to give you a bad day, he wants to kill you, destroy you, take you out, wipe out your walk with God. He wants to take you out of the race for good. And I hate the devil. I loathe the devil. And he's real. He's not a figment. He's not a myth. He's not a fable. He's not from Brothers Grimm. Jesus called him the devil, identified him as the devil, and cast his demons out of people. That's who we're dealing with. And one of his top tactics is to gain an advantage over you in a time of need. Here's the principle. Satan's most successful approach is to lure you into meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Now, I want you to remember that one because I'm not saying you have an illegitimate need. I'm saying many times a legitimate need is capitalized on by the devil and he tries to persuade you to take care of a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. When you battle with sexual temptation, you're also battling against Satan. Not because he creates the desire, but because he so powerfully and deceptively uses the desire. In the same way that Esau came out of the field after a day of hunting. You remember that story? He came out of the field after a day of hunting. He was tired. He was hungry. And Jacob was standing there waiting for him as he came out of the field. And Jacob's holding a bowl of stew. And as Esau approached, I just kind of pictured Jacob. The trickster, he's called, blowing the aroma into his face. Hey, I know it's been a long day out there. You're tired, dude, and you're hungry. Want some stew? He's a picture of the devil. Jacob, I mean, Esau's hungry. So he says, sure. He says, well, there's a little catch. A little catch. All I want is your birthright. That's all. Esau was so hungry and he did not have a heart for God, that he sold his birthright for a bowl of porridge. And the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that after he did that, he tried to get it back with tears and cryings and begging and couldn't get it back. Ouch! Ouch! But listen, Satan will tempt you to give away your integrity, your walk with God, your principle in an hour of sexual hunger. But I got good news for you tonight. The Son of God came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. Can you say that with me? The Son of God came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. Give the Lord a hand of praise for that tonight. (laughs) Glory to God. Now, there is a way to resist Satan's attempt to use your sexual desire. That's the good news. And let me tell you what, what some of these things are. I, I hope this will be helpful. First of all, you've got to be preemptive. You're going to have to be preemptive. The attack to immorality will come to most of us. The key to winning the battle is to make up your mind now that you're going to walk in obedience to God. It's like tithing or anything else. You you know, the worst time to decide what you're going to tithe is when the tithing plate is two people away from you. Oh, Lord, what do I give? No, best way to tithe is you're preemptive. You've already made up your mind. Ten percent or more is God's. So I make up my mind. So when I get paid, I write the tithe check right then. It's over. I'm preemptive with it. You will never win the battle against sexual temptation until you are preemptive. You make up your mind now. Because it's not if, everybody, it's when you're tempted. So you make up your mind now. I'm going to honor God. We should set our moral compass when desire is at low ebb. So that when the waves of satanic rationalizations break over our brain at the moment of temptation, we will have an anchor of truth and won't be swept away by the emotion of the moment. Well, I'll tell you, this is good stuff. I'm going to get this CD. Okay? So everybody say with me, preemptive. Make up your mind now. Make it up right now. The second thing, the second way to overcome, to have victory, know thyself. Can you say that with me? Know thyself. The most important person for you to know is you. You've got to know you. You've got to be honest with you about you. Know your weaknesses and know your strengths. Be honest with yourself about what you can and what you cannot handle. Now I'm going to tell you, when I was a teenager, I smoked. I was a Marlboro kid. And I'm going to tell you, I was as hooked as anybody that had been doing it for 30 or 40 years. I loved smoking. I smoked when I woke up. I smoked when I went to bed. I smoked after every meal. I smoked when I got stressed. And very early on, I messed up my health. I was smoking all the time. Thought it was cool, that cigarette hanging out of my mouth. I I, I saw the Marlboro Man commercials and thought, that's the way I want to look. Of course, he died later. (laughs) But they didn't tell us that. He died of lung cancer. But um, I smoked. But early on, like at 16, I quit. So when did you start? 13. So I quit. And now I'm going to tell you, you could put me in a cigarette factory and I would not be tempted. Now, I know that about myself. I don't even like getting around it. If I get around somebody smoking, I say, hey, if you don't mind, God bless you. I just don't want to inhale it. It makes my eyes water. It makes my nose itch. I have a revulsion to it. You know, your body tries to tell you that first time you smoke, when you take that first drag on the cigarette and it feels like you just dropped a, lead weight down into your lungs. That's your body telling you God did not intend this. But I know that about myself, but there are people, if you put them within a mile of a cigarette, they're going to find them. And you got to know that about yourself. And when it comes to sexuality, let me tell you what Paul wrote here. We are he wrote this in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 to the Corinthians, talking about the Old Testament saints who fell. Here's what he said quote, We are just as capable of messing it up as they the Old Testament saints were. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You are not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self confidence, it's useless. Don't put your confidence in your flesh. Cultivate confidence in God. You'll never defeat sexual temptation alone. You must turn to God for it. You must lean on the power of the Holy Spirit for it. You must trust the power of the Word of God in your life. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Psalms 119. There are certain situations you cannot put yourself in and remain fair to you. And you know what they are. And if you don't, you need to have a talk with yourself. Now, let me tell you what some of them are. And I don't care who you are. Too much alone time, too much physical touch is a recipe for a fall. And I'm about to get real, real. So y'all grab the sides of your chair. I'm about to get real, real. Can we just be honest? Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're, you're dead to temptation. You're still a living, breathing, vital, sexual human being. So too much alone time, too much physical touch. It's a recipe for a f- failure. When it comes to sexual temptation, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. Now take a firecracker. A firecracker was designed with the firecracker itself and a fuse. That firecracker was designed by the maker to be lit, the fuse to be lit, and it burn all the way down and explode. That's how God created you and your sexuality. When you touch too much, you're lighting a fuse that was meant by God to burn to the end and blow up. Neither a firecracker fuse nor your sex drive are designed to be lit and snuffed out and lit and snuffed out and lit and snuffed out. You know what's happening every time you do it? We'll say, well, pastor, what, do you, what about petting? Well, what you're doing is you're lighting that fuse. And every time you light that fuse, what you don't know is that fuse is getting shorter every time. And one night in the backseat of the car or in that house alone, Louie. And you come running to me, Pastor, we fell. I don't, I don't know how it happened. I know how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of hard to have compassion there because you, I, I tell you, you got to know you. And the Bible says, in my flesh dwells no good thing. That is, your flesh is going to go south. Your flesh is going to mess up every chance you give it. You've got to crucify your flesh, and you cannot give. What did Paul say? He said, don't give the flesh an opportunity. Every time this happens through too much touch, the fuse is growing shorter, shorter, shorter. It's going to explode. And then you have pregnancy, or then you have all kinds of negatives that come in. Now, I'm going to give you some wisdom here. If you're single and you're seeing somebody, maximize talk and minimize touch. Kathy thought that I was gay for a while. I'm telling you. Now, I'm going to tell you. She's not here tonight, but that's not why. (laughs) She really is under the weather. Uh, But when we were uh, dating or seeing each other, we saw each other for a year, and I kept avoiding places where we were alone too long. She thought I didn't like her, and then she began to wonder, hmm, is he? Finally, one night, we were at a house, and the couple that were there— um Said, hey, we gotta go somewhere. Forgot to tell y'all. We'll be gone a few hours. You're welcome to stay. And they walked out the door, and there we were in this house alone. And I, I could just see the devil all over it. Now, this may sound real foreign to some of you, but you gotta be preemptive. And so I said, Hey, you want to go for a walk? And she said, Oh, okay. It's not like, because believe me, Kathy was not wanting uh to enter into anything sinful, but she was wondering, what's the matter with me? So we went for a walk, and I just told her, I said, look, I don't trust the flesh. And so we're going to go to a lot of Bible studies. We're going to talk a lot, and we're going to pray a lot. And that's just where it's going to said, That's fine with her as long as she understood. Now, let me tell you, you're going to have to be severe. Satan's message is that you gain intimacy through the sexual gateway. And that is a lie. You do not gain intimacy through the sexual gateway. That's not how you get to know somebody's soul. Sex actually, if, you, if you're single and you go that route, sex actually uh, complicates a relationship, loading it down with guilt and mixed feelings. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, forget it. This isn't for you. I'm talking to Christians. Because if you're not a Christian, you think I'm crazy by about now. God's road to to intimacy, real intimacy, God's road is communication. Scripture teaches that a non-sexual relationship based on mutual serving of Christ and wholesome communication uh, is God's way. Listen to what Paul said again. But if they can't control themselves they should go ahead and marry. Now, what is he saying there? He's saying it's better to marry than to be messing up. Now, as a whole other subject, I've got to balance that statement with this. That doesn't mean you just go find anybody to marry. Well, we don't want to live in sin, hallelujah, because you may marry a nightmare. That's a whole different subject. That's a whole different subject. I'm not just saying, well, if you're struggling with temptation, go get married. Hallelujah. Get in the want ads or something. No, because that's not an answer either. It's got to be the right person. That's another topic. But I want to say that real clearly. (laughs) We're having fun tonight. The third key to victory over immorality is continuously growing your knowledge of God. Now, that's key. Because if you put something out of your life, you've got to replace it with something else. Nature abhors a vacuum, and so does your soul. So if you decide you're going to walk in what we're reading about here tonight, in what God has told us, that if we reject it, we have rejected him. If we accept it, we've accepted him. If you decide to go that way, if you yield your sexuality to him, then I guarantee you, um, you're going to have to replace that Seeming absence was something just as powerful, and that is knowing God. Remember what we saw in 1 Thessalonians 4. There's a crucial difference between those governed by their passions and those who are governed by a sense of holiness and honor. He says again here, this is the will of God, that you should be consecrated, separated, and set apart for pure and holy living, that you should, what everyone? Abstain and shrink from all sexual vice. Amplified Bible. That each one of you should say it with me know how to possess, control, manage his own body in consecration, purity, separated from things profane and honor. Not to be used in the passion of lust like the heathen who do not know God and have no knowledge of his will. Key phrase there is who do not know God. If you were to ask Paul, and we're closing with this, what can I do, Paul, so that I'm protected from Satan's power to deceive me into sexual sin? And, and Paul, if he were standing here, I know what he'd say because I know what he wrote. His answer would be get to know God. Fill the vacuum with an increasing knowledge and deeper relationship ongoingly with God pursue an ever expanding vision of God draw daily in your or grow daily in your walk with God he said in Romans 128 since they did not approve to have God in their knowledge God gave them up to a base mind and improper conduct but if you treasure the knowledge of God and pursue it listen the bondage to baseness will be broken. In Galatians 4, 8, Paul said, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were in bondage to beings that by nature are no gods. Deliverance from the bondage of Satan and his forces comes through knowing God. That's why you ought to be in church every time the door is open. Because I guarantee you, here at Turning Point, we're going to worship the true and the living God, we're going to lift up the name of Jesus, and we're going to preach the Word of God. And and that's it. Uh, As Peter put in his second letter, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. The better you know the glory and excellency of God, the less power Satan will have over you. Let's stand together. I want you to preach this next one with me, can you? Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. You cannot be easily deceived that Satan's way is better when you really know the way of Christ. The only way to fight the lie of sinful pleasure is with the truth of righteous pleasure when you come to know God fully that in His presence is fullness of joy and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore then you will have conquered Satan once and for all. He's a liar. He has no power over those who know God in truth. Now look what I'm teaching on next Wednesday. Who's your daddy? Because. It's going to make all the difference in the world. Who's your daddy? But tonight, I'm going to tell you, I know what we're teaching is a major challenge. But I'm only teaching you what the Bible challenges you with if you never came to church. Just read it on your own. I'm just teaching the Bible. Will it be easy? Not always. No. Will it be rewarding? Hugely. I want to pray for you tonight, and I want to pray for all of us, and I want to pray for our listeners by radio. Father, uh, we take this word, and we know, Lord, that you've given us this word to guard us, to give us parameters, to teach us uh, the boundaries of sexuality if we choose to walk with you. Now, Lord, help us to embrace the word. Help us to be wise. Help us, Lord, to take a stand against the flood of immorality and filth that is washing through this country in the name of Jesus. Now, will you take a moment and pray and say, Lord, I give you my sexuality. That pearl, that pearl that Satan is trying to destroy, I give it to you. I give it to you. Married or single, He's coming after you. I want you to give preemptively your sexuality to God. Take a minute, and we'll dismiss in just a moment.